0: Awesome. We're going to jump into the Word today. Uh, the message that I've got for you today is called Come to Me. Um, make it easy for you. We're going to bring the scriptures up on the screen. And of course, the notes are in the app, the Elam Christians End app. You can follow along if you would like. But let's start in John chapter 6 from verse 25. And this is sort of the basis of what we're going to be covering this morning. John chapter 6 from verse 25 onwards. It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you. You were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. That was a title Jesus gave for himself. He's speaking about himself there. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, well, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may be- see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty pretty cool, eh? I want to paraphrase that if I could just one more time. I really want this passage to sink in. This is the basis on what we're going to cover today. So essentially, the crowds are looking for Jesus because he's given them some loaves of bread, most likely through this multiplying miracle of the loaves, and they seem to be wanting some more. Jesus challenges them, and he says, hey, why are you looking for things that can satisfy only in this life? You should work hard at going after eternal things, the sort of things only I can give you. See, Jesus identifies that they haven't come look for him with spiritual motive, but rather material. They care less about the miracle and more about the bread. So the crowd, they hear that word work. When he says work for these eternal things, they hear the word work and they say, what sort of work do we need to do to please God? And Jesus clarifies, it's not about the work that you do. It's about knowing me. Work doesn't give you eternal reward. Being close to me does. So then this crowd, they want some proof. They're like, okay, Jesus, well, what are you going to do then so that we can believe in you? They're like, our ancestors, they were amazing. And they ate this manna from heaven. It was kind of like bread. And then they quote the scripture. They say, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus, what will you do? And Jesus is like, man, guys, Moses didn't give you that bread. God gave it to you. Our father in heaven gave you that bread. He says, Moses didn't sustain them. God does. God gives the bread of life. And this crowd are like, Jesus, give us that bread. We want that bread. And Jesus is like, I am that bread. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. This has got to be one of the most significant lessons that Jesus ever teaches people. And so by extension, could ever teach us. Basically, he's saying, if you want to live an abundant life to please God and enter eternity, Jesus says, come to me. Now, I have a real love-hate relationship with going to restaurants, especially fancy ones. Now, it's not something we do all too often, especially now that we've got a toddler, for obvious reasons, that would be carnage. But I'm torn on the experience because I think me and the restaurant have very different ideas of success. I love turning up, it feels all elegant, you've worn something nice, someone waits on you, and you justify picking something a little fancy off the menu, but you begin to look at the menu, and it looks ridiculous, like all of the items that are listed on there, it's like pan-seared grass-fed lamb with lightly toasted Himalayan almonds, dehydrated citrus rind with a generous dollop of mint relish, all complimented, complimented with peppered lemon zhuzh, whatever that is. <laughs> You're like... What is this? I'm like, that sounds delectable. That sounds delicious. There's so many flavors. There's so much going on. That's going to be a good meal. I don't know what half of that means, but I'm in. So you wait way too long, and then eventually someone who walks up with their hand behind their back delivers this meal to your table, and you pause your face while you process what it is that you're looking at. You know it's bad when you paid $40 for that meal, and you're confident you could fit the whole thing in your mouth in one go. See, the restaurant's idea of success is that I would experience this explosion of flavors, this combination that leaves me praising the chef's unmatched chefery skills. But my definition of success is that if I'm gonna pay $40 for a main, at the very least, I would leave feeling full. Like, that is my default expectation and any yum flavors or fancy plating skills after that come as a bonus. And so you leave that evening lovely evening but still feeling full and like a lighthouse on a hill you see those golden arches (laughs) strategically placed by every on-ramp to the motorway and they begin beckoning you in come to me you hear ronald mcdonald whispering come to me and you'll leave full come to me and you'll never leave hungry and you know what ronald mcdonald's not wrong It's the worst, right? When you go somewhere expecting to be filled and yet you leave still hungry. It's cool to experience something, but often the experience itself doesn't leave you full. And I think sometimes as Christians, we get so wrapped up in the experience of church and Christianity and it can feel nice and it's fun to be a part of and you feel valued and people are nice to you and it feels good. And yet you can still leave feeling hungry. I want to crack something open this morning that might come across as a little confronting, but Jesus was outright in his instruction to his disciples. He says, in this life, you can do all sorts of things. You can turn up to things, help with things, very much feel like you're on the right path. But if you're not mindful, you, be, you can become disillusioned at the life you thought you were meant to be living as a disciple of Christ. That's why he warns in Matthew 7. He says, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to life. Knowing and pursuing and being in intimate relationship with Jesus, that is the narrow gate. He says to the crowds that day, in that passage we read at the start, he says, It's not Moses that provided your ancestors with miraculous provision. That was God. Don't rely on people to sustain you and ultimately provide you every need. You can't get that from people. You can only get that from God. And then he says in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, says, not everyone, this is Jesus saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one that does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. doers." That's harsh. He's like, not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, only those that do the will of my father will enter. And then he goes on to explain why the ones he's speaking to won't enter. And it says, because you never, I never knew you. You never knew me. There was no relationship. Knowing Jesus is the will of the father. Jesus is highlighting that you can do all sorts of things and it can feel good and it can impact people. And it's all really valuable but don't let that fool you into thinking that that is the core purpose for which you've been called. Your core purpose is to know God. Don't rely on people for your sustenance. Don't rely on works for your approval. Pursue God, know Jesus, and rely on Him. You know, being part of the team here at Elon Papakura has truly been the most transforming experience of my life. While I don't know every single person in the room, I know many of you, and The way that you've impacted my life is hard to put words to. And I suspect that would be the case in the experience for many other people in the room. You know, God continues to draw people to himself, and it's really beautiful what we have. One of the things I love the most about our community is that we have so many different ages, cultures, and stages of life represented. It's like we're all on this big journey together, and at the same time, we're all kind of running our different leg of the race. There is nothing on the planet like the local church. Where else can you turn up to the same place at the same time every week, listen to some of the same songs, hear a message from pretty much the same text, interact with many of the same people, hopefully some new and unfamiliar ones as well, and yet you leave changed every single week, whether you realize it or not. It's a place where we don't come to be entertained, but to enter in. And we're constantly hearing all these really cool stories of friendships being made, partial care taking place, answered prayer, marriage counseling, mentor meetings, the list goes on. I couldn't be more excited that each of us get to be a part of this. And yet I have to warn you, as awesome as this place is, don't let it distract you. The church absolutely is God's idea, but the church is not God. We are the body. We are the people. We are the church, but Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the God of this church. Ultimately, he is the reason we gather. But we don't gather for God. We're gathering with God. And there's a massive difference. See, if we want to be true disciples of Jesus, we have to understand that he says, all who come to me will never be hungry, not all who come to church. You know how some people can, not hear, obviously, but some people can feel a little disgruntled with their church experience. And they say things like, oh, I wasn't being fed at that church. It's interesting when I hear that. Because I'm really sorry that that's their experience. But the truth is that Jesus feeds you, not the church. The church should encourage you, it should challenge you, it should teach you, but only Jesus can fill you. Only Jesus can truly satisfy you. Look, you can't possibly be devoted to Jesus while being uncommitted to the church, but you can be committed to the church while being undevoted to Jesus. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying that's how it can unfold sometimes. Jesus people are also church people, but sadly, some church people are not also Jesus people. You know, Darcy and I, we, we love preaching, you know. I'd say that on behalf of everyone that's ever preached, here, yeah? We love that God's gifted us to do that. We love putting the words together, going before God and bringing a message that encourages you and challenges you. We really love doing it, and it's really nice when, you know, we get nice feedback from you. And this is not a, like, I'm not going fishing. Like, I, I don't, I'm i not trying to reel you in to do this. When after the sermon you come and you give nice words of encouragement. It is, it's encouraging, it's uplifting. We don't necessarily feel like we need that, but we thank you when you do give it. And I don't mean to sound arrogant when I say this. I know that you love our preaching, but do you love Jesus? Because we care far more about that. If my sermons only lead you to love church more, but don't result in you actually developing a deeper love for God himself, we've missed it. Now, don't get me wrong, Jesus was absolutely passionate about the church. There's this moment where Jesus is in the temple and he sees people selling items and they're dishonoring God and they're turning the whole place into this big marketplace and he's not pumped on it. Jesus flips tables, he makes a whip and he chases them out. It's a pretty extreme response. Jesus says in this passage, he says, a passion for God's house has consumed me. He was flipping tables because it was coming from a place of reverence to his father in heaven. This passion for God's house consumed him because there were things taking place that dishonored God. It grieved his heart to know that the temple wasn't representing God's heart well. You know, you can't know what grieves God's heart if you don't first know God. Jesus had a passion for the house that came out of intimacy with his father. And Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. But some people are out here like, man, I've been promised rest. And yet I come to church every Sunday and I still feel leave feeling heavy and I leave feeling anxious and I leave feeling unsettled and in turmoil. I know you've come to church, but have you gone to Jesus? Because it's only Jesus that can satisfy. Look, church, I'm not here to beat up church. It's my absolute favorite place in the whole world. It's the only place where you can come and it's like all the things that are different among us fall second to the things that unite us. It's a place where those that aren't accepted in other parts of society can come and be at home here. They can be welcomed here because we try our very best within our humanity to see people the way that God sees them. It's a place where our collective faith stirs us all towards repentance and surrender. It's meant to be a place where we meet with God himself. But when Jesus says, all who come to him will never be hungry, And when he says, all who are weary and burdened can come to him and they'll find rest. This is a promise made to you by a perfect God, not an imperfect gathering of people. Don't get the purpose of the church and the promises of God mixed up. It is Jesus who saves you. It is Jesus that sets you free. It is Jesus that redeems you. Ultimately, it is Jesus that satisfies your soul. But we've got to be church people. Christian people are church people. If you don't like The gathering of imperfect people to worship him, to submit ourselves to the teaching of his word, to encourage each other in faith and to welcome the lost home. Take it up with God. It's his idea. It's his idea that we would do that. You can't be submitted to God and not love the church in all its messiness with those songs you don't prefer and that annoying person that takes your seat and walking up the stairs for crying out loud. And don't get me started on getting trapped in the lift with someone you don't know. With all those things that make it not amazing, it's still God's design. We as God's gathered people are the church, and we are the bride of Christ that he's coming back for. We've got to be church people, but we have to be Jesus people. And there is a difference. Those are two very different things. The sort of Jesus followers that understand that there is no substitute for intimacy. Remember what Jesus had to say to those people that thought that their works were impressive that their involvement in ministry was impressive. But Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We did the ministry. We prophesied in your name. Look at all this great ministry that we did. Look at our involvement. He says, go away, evildoer, for I never knew you. We might say it like this, but Lord, we had awesome sermons. I served in the dream team. I even did all three sessions of growth track in a row. And I only had one donut each session. You might say, our super Sunday was crazy. And I even shouted someone a coffee in the cafe after the service. They don't call me St. Frosty for nothing. You might say all of those things. Now look, all of those things are absolutely amazing. I know that it brings God's heart joy when we host and welcome people well, when we teach the word, when we use our gifts, when we're generous to others, when we make a difference and we do it all with love and celebration. But if you get distracted by all of that and don't actually get to know God at the same time, You're gonna be sorely disappointed. Because as fun as that picture of the church sounds, you're gonna grow more and more bitter because you'll become disillusioned that the church never gave you something it was never meant to give you. Now, there's incredible things that the church will do for you. Probably more importantly, that you could do for the church, but there's some things you can only get from God. Jesus says, Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And I really want you to hear that I'm not saying, okay. So you need Jesus and not the church. I'm not saying that at all. Every single one of us 100% needs both of those. But ultimately the point of the church, the people of the church, but when I say that, I mean the gathering, the gathering of us together as the church. Ultimately the point of that and our activities and our ministries is that you would know God, find freedom, discover purpose and make a difference. That you would walk in the freedom that Christ died to give you. For our time that we've got left, I've got just a couple of thoughts that, I hope it encourage and help you to, amongst the brilliance of the church and your involvement in it, to not get distracted and moved away from the God of it. A few alignments that we could make to ensure that we would have a passion for His house just like Jesus did, but that also we would go after intimacy with God Himself. The first one is this, Scripture beyond the service. You know, gathering together to sit under the teaching of the Word like this is one of the most significant things that we do as the church. But this moment right here should be your foundation, not the whole house. Now, I have access to the same Bible that you do, and I read it in the preparation of sermons, but the way I read it when I read it for myself is very different. You know, the words of Scripture are a presentation of God's character and His heart towards us. The Holy Spirit illuminates different things that speak to our individual circumstances. He draws our attention to certain things and he prompts and nudges us as we read. Coming to Jesus looks like coming to the word regularly. Listening to sermons is great, but this can't be the extent of your Bible reading. It would be like sitting down with your spouse for a lovely dinner on a Sunday evening and chatting about how it's a good idea to stay together and what might come out of your marriage. And then you don't speak to them for the rest of the week. See, the problem with thinking that sermons and podcasts and church involvement would sustain us is that they're very different from diving into the living word itself. They're awesome, but they're different. When Jesus was in the wilderness, he's being tempted by Satan, and Satan says to Jesus, if you truly are the Son of God, why don't you just turn these stones into bread? Surely you can do that. But Jesus recognizes that true sustenance doesn't come from earthly things like bread. He says in Matthew 4, verse 4, but Jesus told him, this is Satan, no, the scriptures say people do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When Jesus says this, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8 where it's speaking about what God did for the Israelites when they wandered through the desert for 40 years. So you've got two moments of wilderness, Jesus in the wilderness, and then he's quoting the scripture that refers back to the Israelites being in the wilderness, both of which would have been very lovely to have some bread, both of which would have been really nice to have some food, but he's recognizing that on both occasions, those things are just temporary. So when he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, he says, He quotes this, yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to your ancestors. He did this to teach people to not live by bread alone, rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It's not just what sustenance you get, it matters who you get it from. Many things in this life could be considered like bread. They satisfy for a short while, but it's only the word of God that truly sustains and fills you. Here's the challenge. Each week, spend more time in the Word privately than you do at church publicly. You probably spend about 90 minutes here at church a week after you've had a coffee and a chin wag. 25 to 30 minutes of that is listening to a sermon. And if you've ever caught yourself thinking this, and it's okay if you have, yeah, yeah, I, I read the Bible. Like I read the scripture. I read it when it comes on the screen behind the sermon. And sometimes I follow along in the app. If that's the extent of your Bible reading, I want to assume that you probably leave still feeling hungry. Spend more than 90 minutes in the Word per week and see what happens. That's just under 13 minutes a day because Jesus says, all who come to me, come to the Word, spend time with me, be intimate with me. Those are the people that would never be hungry. Scripture beyond the service. Secondly, Christ in our conversations. Now, this is a simple one, but when Jesus says, come to me, he doesn't mean in that allocated hour at the end of the week in that particular building. He says, come to me regularly because I want to be an integral part of your life. See, you might find yourself in a conversation after church in the cafe where you're chatting with someone and you're reflecting on the sermon and maybe what God said to you during it. Maybe you're reflecting on a moment of revelation you had during worship. And those conversations are so life-giving. I want to share this quote. I shared it last week, felt to share it again. Charles Spurgeon said, When two saints are talking together, Jesus is very likely to come and make the third one in the company. Talk of him and you will soon talk with him. One of the greatest ways that you can come to know God's heart is inviting Him into your conversations. Being a true disciple is not just knowing about God, it's actually knowing God intimately. I remember when we were youth pastors back at our botany campus, and there was this one particular Friday night, I don't really remember what was happening that night, but as was usual, we were hanging out in the car park before the service, teenagers everywhere, and I'm hanging out with this particular group of teenagers, and there's this girl, they're about 15, 16 years old, there's this girl explaining how there's this boy that she likes, And she's not sure if he likes her back. And so she's trying to figure out if she should go after this young man. Well, in my mind, I'm thinking, you're 15. The answer is no, you should not do that. (laughs) That guy's a mongrel. (laughs) Don't do it. But externally, I say, okay, have you prayed about it and asked God what he thinks? She laughed in my face. She did. I I can have that effect on people. She literally laughed in my face. And she said, what? Why would I ask God that? He doesn't care about things like who I date. I said, oh, he cares even more than you do. She was like, seriously? Seriously. You know when you're driving along and you're just having casual conversations, maybe with your spouse or a friend in the car, and you're just chatting about the challenges of life. You know, you might be chatting about, should we enroll our child in that daycare? Should we make an offer on that house? What are we gonna do about Uncle Barry at the Christmas family dinner? Because that guy's a handful. Like, how do we navigate Uncle Barry, should I go back to study to further my career? We're going to drop down on the income. How are we going to do that? Invite God into those conversations. He actually cares about the details of your life. He has ideas. He has thoughts. And he has wisdom on everything that you might face. Psalm 32 verse 8 says this. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Come on, is your family just a church family? or you disciples? Do you come to church as well as pursuing Jesus? It's also a great idea to invite God into the conversations you have with your kids at home. You know, if you've got a snotty-nosed teenager, (laughs) you might know what it's like. Exam time, they're like, oh, like, "I I can't deal. I can't manage it. Like, it's too much. It's too stressful. I don't know what to do. I can't deal. Your response might be, okay, Well, let's have a chat about how we can help you to get best prepared, but let's also pray that God will give you peace in the lead up to it. Let's pray that whatever study you are able to do is super effective and that you would retain ideas better than usual. And then you pray. I'm not saying... To invite God into your conversations means to give a Bible lecture every time the opportunity arises. But to just include God, ask for His wisdom. He says if we want wisdom, we just ask for it and He would give it to us. Invite Him into those conversations because God truly does care about our lives. And when we invite Him into those conversations, we get to heed His wisdom. We get to hear His advice. We feel better connected to Him. Scripture beyond the service, Christ in our conversations. And thirdly, pursuit over preferences. You know, as awesome as it is to be part of this community and to be able to do church the way that we do it, it certainly isn't perfect. And that's because there is no perfect church. Physical church gatherings like this are people's best efforts to create community and to create inspiring environments where you can worship God. And we try to present the Bible in a practical and understandable way. And a telling sign as to whether you've been too focused on the way church is done and less focused on Jesus himself is if the preferences of this place have an impact on the depth of your pursuit. You know, far more important than the songs that the worship team choose to lead us in are the ways that you choose to worship God when we sing them. The song doesn't get to choose how we worship. When we turn up with the intention to seek God, to worship Him, to learn from Him, and to know Him better, exactly how we go about that becomes far less important. And remember that the church is just our foundation. It's not the whole house. Algie, you can join me on keys. See, you can even worship God to your own customized playlist at home or in the car whenever you like. I love the songs that the team select for us. They don't just pick them out of a hat, but they pray, they seek God, they consider what's going on. And they sing. I love it, but I also love shout to the Lord and turn your eyes upon Jesus. And so I worship God to those at home and in the car where no other human being ears could ever hear me in the name of Jesus. <laughs> It's okay to have these other elements outside of our gathering that do fit your preference, but don't allow the preferences of here to rob you away from truly seeking God and worshiping Him. You can listen to a podcast of someone preaching that's way better than me. I don't care. I do care that your pursuit of Jesus is bigger than the preferences of this house. See, without God, all that we have here is just It's just religious. It's just systems and structures and procedures and expectations and box ticking. You know, when Jesus said, all who are weary and burdened can come to me and I'll give you rest. This is actually really significant. It's because at that time, people would commit themselves to a rabbi who would have quite difficult expectations to meet. It was like these disciples under these rabbis would have to wear a yoke that could sometimes feel quite heavy and burdensome. It was far more law-based than it was grace-based. You know, only a a rabbi could establish an interpretation of the word and rightfully raise up his disciples under that interpretation. So when Jesus comes and he goes through the training to become an established rabbi and he begins to call people to follow him, people dropped everything and ran. Did you notice that? Jesus was not like the other rabbis. Fishermen dropped their nets, tax collectors left their booths and they ran. Jesus said, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. It's essentially saying the weight of expectation under my teaching is light because God is gracious and wants to give rest for your souls. Without God, all of this that we have, as fun, as amazing and chaotic as it can be, It's it's just religious practice. But because we understand that the church is a vehicle to grow us, train us, release us and connect us with God and not fill us and sustain us, we don't expect the church to give us something it was never meant to give us. So you come to religion and you'll be left feeling heavy and empty, but you come to Jesus, he'll give you peace. He gives you life. He fills and satisfies you in a way that no personal service ever could. Gathering as a church is God's beautiful design for imperfect people. But after years of coming along, if you still find yourself leaving feeling hungry, perhaps you also need to start coming to Jesus. Scripture beyond the service, Christ in our conversations, and pursuit over preference.